inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thanks for joining. What is a facilitator? This word has several meanings, but I'm sure the, the one you're going to discuss today has to be very useful for you, especially if you want to do your speaking engagement presentations much more effective and engaging with the audience. So for, ha for that, we have a, an expert in the matter who is Robert McPhee. Robert is founder and president of Set in San Diego, California. He provides interactive, experiential, and fun workshops to organizations faced with significant changes, helping their people maximize their productivity in spite of those changes. He is the author and partner journal of the book Manifesting for Non-Gurus, How to Quickly and Easily Attract Lasting Results. Robert is a founding member of the Transformational Leadership Council and the Sounder California Association of Transformational Leaders. And he is a former director For, of training for Jack Canfield. Hello, Robert. Good, good morning, or good evening, or good afternoon, depending on where we are. We're far apart, but for me, it's good morning. It's good to be with you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Good evening here. Good morning for you. Yeah, it's always a uh, it's fun to have these uh, long, t uh, long distance conversations. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's really worth because uh, having had uh, the chance to talk about facilitation, so it's going to be something very new for all of us. Um, so I would like to start asking you, tell me in general a bit about yourself, uh, what you have been doing. Sure. And you, you mentioned a little bit of my background in the bio. Um, I had the opportunity to have some wonderful entrepreneurial experiences when I first graduated from school, uh, had some great successes and, and great experiences with being an entrepreneur and uh, eventually transitioned into the personal and professional development world because I had a real, a real passion for it. I actually facilitated some work, some training work within my own company and fell in love with it and, and uh, started going out and reading more and attending workshops and learning more and I uh, ended up having the opportunity to work closely with Jack Canfield, who you mentioned. Uh, Jack is the co-author of the very well-known Chicken Soup for the Soul book series and also wrote an amazing book called The Success Principle mm. and uh, worked with him to create the Transformational Leadership Council and the Southern California Association of Transformational Leaders, which gave me the opportunity to work with and learn from some of the, really some of the greatest teachers and trainers and speakers and authors on the planet. I was really blessed to be around both of those groups. And uh, as you also mentioned, I eventually wrote my own book, uh, which was originally called Manifesting for Non-Gurus. And I tell people I spent four years proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's a clever title, but a terrible brand. So for the work that I do, I actually retitled the book Uh, the book has been very well received, um, but uh, but the title just really wasn't working in terms of reaching out to the the clients and customers that I wanted to be working with. So I had created a leadership program called Excellent Decisions, mm -hmm. which helps people make decisions based on their vision and values instead of all the stress and pressure that they're under. 
And uh, so I, lit- I literally retitled the book, and I now call it Excellent Decisions, which uh, the marketplace reacts to much differently and much more positively. Uh, people seem very interested in, in making excellent decisions, and uh, much more than, uh, than they are interested in learning about manifesting and, and non-gurus. So uh, same content, same message about attracting the results that people want and doing it more quickly and easily. Uh, but a whole new title called Excellent Decisions. Excellent Decisions, okay, yeah. Sounds more down-to-earth, and yes. <laughs> yes, and, exactly. <laughs> uh, I was, when I was meeting with people in the corporate world and talking about manifesting for non-gurus, I was uh, getting a very different response. It wasn't It wasn't nearly down-to-earth enough. So, uh, so it's, you know, live and learn, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's great that you, you find the right title and you're uh, keeping spreading the... <laughs> the word about the great work you are doing. So as I mentioned at, at first, uh, we're going to discuss about facilitation. So how you define a facilitator? Well, for me, the difference between speaking and facilitating is that a facilitator really engages his audience, or his or her audience, in a, in a much deeper way. Uh, the traditional notion of a speaker is that there's an audience that's listening and a speaker who is sharing information and wisdom and ideas with them. And I know one of the greatest frustrations that speakers often have is that they they share their ideas, they share their information, they share their passion. And yet sometimes the organizations and the individuals that they're speaking to have a hard time really implementing that work. And one of the great blessings that I had working closely with Jack Canfield is that Jack teaches a very interactive and experiential model of speaking and presenting. So whenever the environment that I'm speaking at allows, I will not just be speaking to the group, but I will have the group interacting and working with each other. They'll be, um, what I'll do is I'll use a model where I'll share an idea And then I'll have the group do some sort of interactive exercise or activity. It could be just getting a partner and talking about it. It could be um, some sort of physical activity or game. It could be getting up and milling around the room and interacting with each other in some specifically designed way. But there's a way for them to take the idea, to take the concept, and actually experience it. And, and that step actually They have science that shows that that step itself, actually getting them to experience the concept, really deepens the learning. But I think my favorite step is the step that follows is is what I call the debrief, where we we share the concept with them, and then we have them experience it as an exercise or an activity, and then we debrief. We We have a conversation with them or have them have a conversation amongst themselves about what that experience was was like, what they noticed. Um, what they learned from actually experiencing the concept. And what we find is that when you share the idea, have them experience it, and then do the debrief, people get the concept on a much, much deeper level and learn it more effectively. And for me, the most exciting thing, because I'm really passionate about implementation and not just sharing ideas, but about really making a difference and having people change their lives because of the ideas, Um, is that there's really great science that shows that people are much more likely to implement the idea um, when you use this model of facilitating, of creating the interactive and experiential learning and doing a debrief, having a discussion about it. 
um, rather than just sharing the ideas. So that's that's the difference between a facilitation approach and just speaking. And uh, I love sharing that with speakers because for many of them, it creates an opportunity to, first of all, differentiate themselves from their competition because mm-hmm. there's a lot of speakers out there nowadays, a lot of people competing for speaking opportunities. And when you tell your clients that you don't just speak, that you facilitate and you explain what that means, um, most clients are really interested in a more dynamic and engaging experience. And they really are interested not just in entertainment but in real difference-making presentations. Uh, so it creates opportunities for speakers when they learn how to be an effective facilitator in addition to having the speaking skills that they already have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a great formula. I didn't um, ex- experience, um, learning through experience, that's one thing, and the other once the, the audience has been doing some, some of these uh, exercises, uh, do the debriefing, so I have to explain what well, you have, uh, not only the concept, but how you, you learn, you know? Uh, right. Yes, one thing is, yeah, it's excellent, uh, this, uh, what you say, that uh, speakers can um, incorporate uh, this facilitation into their um, their speaking engagement, but in, in which format this is, uh, this is suitable, because uh, it might be that you are speaking only... 20 minutes and would you still use some facilitation in, in a, in 20 minutes of a, of a talk or in which format this work the best? Well, uh, you bring up a good point that it takes longer, you know, to share an idea with a group as a speaker can take just a couple of minutes. And if you are committed to a facilitation approach and you're going to share the idea and create an exercise or an activity and then debrief, it does take longer. Um, the other thing that comes up, is is it depends on the environment and it depends on the size of the group. There are things that you can do as a facilitator uh, with a small group that you can't really do with a much larger group. Mm. Um, so so it really does depend on the environment, the physical space that you're actually in. You know, sometimes I'm in a I might want to do an exercise that requires people to get up and move around the room, and there might not be enough room in the room to to be able to do that. So it, it depends on the physical space. Um, and it also depends on the nature of the speech. I mean, I did a, a graduation speech this year for a high school here in California, and it was just a speech. There wasn't any facilitation involved at all. And, and it was mostly because, like you said, um, of the time that was required, um, that there, there just wasn't time. They had given me 15 minutes for this graduation speech. So, um, you know, there wasn't enough time. I could have done, you know, one point and one exercise and, and, and one debrief, but I, I couldn't have even really done debrief because the, the format of speaking to the graduates, but also having hundreds of people there who were their friends and their family, the, the physical dynamic just simply didn't work. So facilitation doesn't always work. Um, it's not always possible to truly facilitate. Um, but again, whenever I have the opportunity, um, I will look to get enough time and to create an environment where it's possible to facilitate. And honestly, I can remember looking out at that group of high school seniors who were graduating and wishing that I had had the opportunity to work with them in the classroom, wishing that I had had the opportunity to work with them at their school rather than just speaking to them at their commencement, because I felt like I could have made a much more uh, impactful difference in their lives 
if I had been given the opportunity to facilitate instead of speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so looking for opportunities to that will allow you because of the time, because of the size of the audience that you will do facilitation right. will, as you said, more impactful. Uh -huh. Yeah, and if you have enough time, I mean, facilitation, like I said, can be as simple as having everyone turn, you know, sharing an idea and having everyone in the group turn and talk to the person next to them about how they feel that idea is most impactful in their lives or what a difference that idea can make in their lives or who is a person in their life that they feel like they could share that idea with to make a difference or any number of questions like that. So the, the actual facilitation doesn't need to be terribly complex. Um, but again, I want to emphasize for people who are considering making their approach more of a facilitation approach, it is really important to, to learn from someone who knows how to facilitate. Because even with a simple little exercise like that, I've seen speakers in front of the room say, okay, everybody get a partner and talk amongst yourselves about this issue. And then they just let them go. And suddenly you've got a room full of chaos. You mm. don't have a way to get the <laughs> attention of the group back. You have people in the room who didn't actually get a partner because mm. you didn't facilitate a process to make sure everyone had a partner. And, and so people miss out on the experience and it, it can uh, turn into kind of a chaotic experience. So again, for me, one of the great blessings of working with someone like Jack Canfield was Jack is truly a master facilitator. When you watch him in front of the room facilitating a workshop, working with a group, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone who's better at creating smooth and seamless transitions into and out of exercises and activities, and sometimes exercises and activities that are very complex and, and going very deep with people's emotions and feelings and what's really important to them. Um, and, and when they are facilitated effectively, again, making a really profound difference in people's lives. So it's important um, to observe really effective facilitators, to learn from effective facilitators um, if you're considering taking this approach um, and making facilitation part of what you offer, part of what you do for the groups that you're working with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, finding the... Uh, learning very well the, the techniques and... and, and finding good examples how to uh, how to do facilitation effectively because I, I have experience what you have said that someone tries to do these interactive uh, experiences and the chaos is what really matter and then it's difficult to come back no? because some people yeah, are, are yeah and it doesn't mm. it ends up not reflecting well on the presenter mm. at all especially for those people who either are confused or they get left out of the process You know, it's a great benefit if you have people experience the idea through an exercise or an activity or a conversation. Um, but it's kind of the opposite effect if someone is left out of that process. Mm. So, uh, yes. and there's very simple ways to make sure. And, you know, the other thing about facilitating that I really love is, is it's fun. It, it There's an element of engagement and interaction and energy in the room. When, when you see someone who's really good at facilitating They're very good at, at being aware of and, and kind of controlling the energy in the room, keeping the energy up, creating a learning environment that's really powerful. Um, again, the research shows that people learn more, remember more, and implement more when they're having fun while mm -hmm. they're learning. 
I think everyone can remember a teacher that they had in school who made learning fun. And they remember more and they, they implement more in their lives when they learn from that teacher who makes it fun versus the teacher who makes it, you know, drudgery and pain and suffering along the way. <laughs> so um, part of the benefit of, of true facilitation is it brings in that element of making it fun and engaging and, again, creating a lasting impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making fun, as you said. Uh, uh Yeah, for instance, if, if someone tries to do facilitations, start uh, doing the experience, people are talking in pairs, things go up into chaos. What I have observed is some of these persons who know this, this exercise starts well, but the trainer or the speaker is somehow weak in coming back. No, now we mm -hmm. come back, we come back track to continue with it, um, with a talk or the presentation or whatever was planned to do. So many people are weak into that. So this is, I, what normally I have seen that is a, from my perspective, is a sort of lack of moderation skills, no? Being, bring the people back, bring the order. So could you now tell us what are the, like a list of the, the best skills that are needed for facilitation? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples and you're absolutely right. You know, you, you use the word moderator, which is really another word for facilitating. It's, it's kind of, controlling, if you will, the group and keeping the group working effectively together rather than creating chaos. And I'm sitting here in my desk this, at my desk this morning and I reached behind me and I'll, I'll share with you one of my tools that I use as a facilitator, which is really effective. Mm -hmm. And it's simply a bell. Oh. Uh, the particular bell that I use is, is called a clearing bell, um, but it's a small handheld bell. And if I have a group of people who are all talking amongst themselves, there's a lot of kind of confusion and energy and noise in the room. But if I've set it up ahead of time that they're going to talk to each other until the bell rings, then it's, it's really quite remarkable um, how easy it is. I'll just ring the bell for you here. That simple noise of a bell ringing is kind of a pattern interrupt for people. And, and they will, you know, sometimes I have to ring the bell several times. Um, but the simple idea of ringing the bell, having them hear the bell, having them remember that that's the time to stop their conversation. Maybe they're going to switch partners. Maybe they're going to move on to something else. But that's simple. I mean, the difference for me between having the bell and not having the bell is an element of ease in, in moving the group along and bringing one activity to an end so I can move on to the next activity. That's really, I mean, it's a simple little technique. It's a simple little mechanism, but it makes a really big difference. Um, the other thing that's really important is that, uh, like I said, with the bell, that it's set up ahead of time. You know, you can't tell everyone to get a partner and have them start talking to themselves and then start ringing a bell that no one knows why you're ringing the bell. You have to set it up ahead of time. And, and whether it's a bell or another mechanism, we have a, we have a technique that we use where we have Uh, when the facilitator raises his hand, if you see the facilitator raise your hand, then you also raise your hand and you pretend there's a string attached from your wrist to your jaw. So as your hand goes up, your jaw goes up and you stop talking. And it's a really simple, it's, it's again, really quite remarkable how quickly people respond to a simple and well set up mechanism like that where I raise my hand, somebody in the audience sees my hand go up, somebody else sees their hand go up, next thing you know, everyone's hand is up and they've stopped talking. It's almost like uh, you see sometimes when you go to a sporting event and you see 
people doing like the wave or some sort of like group activity where it moves all throughout the stadium. You know, the hands just all go up and, and people stop talking and you can move on. And there's lots of different techniques like that, but simple strategies that if a facilitator knows them and is effective at using them, then you can move people into an exercise and activity effectively. You can get people into groups or get them into partners or move them out of their chairs or what have you. Um, and then get them back effectively. Because as you said, sometimes the problem is not getting them into the exercise, mm -hmm. but it's getting the attention of the group back mm -hmm. uh, to the front of the room when you want to move on, when you want to go on to the next part of the activity, or when you want to get into that stage of debrief and start taking some questions and comments from the group about, uh, about what their experience was. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Very simple, but um, I'm sure they work well. I <laughs> Um, I believe that they work very well. So, Robert, you you mentioned earlier about uh, Canf Jack Canfield, not, not only that you work with him, but also an, a good example of a, uh, someone who used facilitation in all their uh, talks and workshops, training, everything. Uh, do you have another example, another person or institution who are good at facilitation? You can tell something. Sure, I have uh, I have a couple actually I can share with you. Jack to me is still the the best example. I'm I'm a little biased because he's been a huge mentor in my life, but um, I've literally spent years and years looking for people that are at the same level he is, and they're very difficult to find. Um, I have also worked with a gentleman by the name of Scott Cody, C O A D Y, and Scott does incredible work in the corporate training space. Uh, he is very committed to experiential learning. He created a leadership program, an award-winning leadership program for NASA, the space organization here in the United States. Um, and, and it's just so very good at what he does and, and does very deep experiential learning. So he's been a powerful teacher for me. And then somebody else who um, I think many people have heard of, whose name is John Gray, He wrote the Men Are From Mars and Women Are yeah. From Venus books, the relationships books. He's also done a lot of work in the nutrition and health space. And John is another one who's a very good facilitator. Uh, he has amazing ideas. He's like a human encyclopedia in terms of the information that he has. But he doesn't just speak to groups. He really gets them engaged with each other. And I think is another really good example that someone people have heard of and someone who's very accessible online that you can go take a look at how they um how they present in front of audiences um and and the, the true facilitation and interactive experiential models that they use um and they're out there i mean if you use words like experiential interactive and facilitation to search for speakers and trainers and 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 authors even Uh, you'll find some really amazing people out there who understand the importance of of really engaging their audience at this level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. That sounds like a great example. So I definitely have to uh, go to YouTube and find some videos and also put them in the show notes of this uh, podcast so people can also easily find them. Perfect. Robert, could you now uh, share with us what is your favorite quote? Favorite quote? Oh, man. You know, there's... Uh, There's so many. Um, I actually have uh, quotes that come into my inbox um, every day. So I have quotes coming and going. Uh, I have a few right here on my desk that I look at all the time. 
Um, I'll give you one example because uh, I think in today's crazy world, it's so important to to really be present. And uh, one of the quotes that I have here in my office um, from Lao Tzu, which is a a very old quote, obviously, uh, it says, "If you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. And if you are at peace, you are living in the present." And I keep that quote in front of me because I feel like in today's world, it's it's pretty easy to get depressed, to get sad, to feel like you're having trouble keeping up. And also in today's world, it's really easy to get anxious and stressed out. And I know for myself, the best experiences that I have and, and when I'm at my most productive and getting the most done, accomplishing the most, is when I'm li- really living in the present. And, and it does create that sense of being at peace. So uh, that's just one example, but that's a hard question because, you know, there's so many, so many great quotes <laughs> yes. and so many great teachers and trainers out there. Uh, it's hard to pick just one. It's almost like which one, you know, I have three children. If you ask me which one of my children is my favorite, I'd refuse to Don't tell to me, don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I understand. Oh, that's a great quote. Eh? Could you now sh- uh, tell us a book that has particularly inspiring or influential for you? Sure. Um, you know, there's, there's three books that are kind of my go-to books. One is, is obviously my own. I love my own book. I'm very proud of my own book. Um, the other one is, is Jack Canfield's success principles book, which has been a big part of, of my teaching. But when people ask me this question, I, I usually like to go to a third book and it's because it's a book that, that many people haven't heard of, but I have found it to be really profound, especially for anyone who's looking to make a change or is in the middle of a transition in their life. And the book is called So Good They Can't Ignore You. So Good They Can't Ignore You. And it was written by a man named Cal Newport, who's a college professor. And uh, the book title is actually a quote from Steve Martin, the actor and comedian and musician. And if you ask Steve Martin, uh, what was the secret to his success? How did he accomplish so much in a, in a hyper competitive environment like entertainment and, mm-hmm. and acting and music and comedy? He would tell you that his commitment was to being so good that they couldn't ignore him. So good that the producers, the directors, the decision makers couldn't ignore him. And this book is about making changes and getting yourself to a position of doing what you really love to do and making a living doing it. And um, kind of debunks the myth that if you just do what you love, the money will follow, which I think is a trap that many people have fallen into. They think they can quit their job and become a speaker and suddenly, you know, make a million dollars a year on the speaking tour. And it usually doesn't work that way. Um, There are some really fundamental, important things to know and to implement. And this is what the book really covers, not just what isn't the way to do it which is do what you love and the money will follow. That doesn't work out so well. But he has some very specific strategies, some concepts uh, he calls deliberate practice. And um, another concept is what he calls career capital, which is taking what you do now, taking the contacts and the knowledge and the network that you have now and leveraging it into what you really want to do. So again, um, so good they can't ignore you for anyone who's making a transition or making a change it's just a really awesome book that i highly recommend oh yeah it's uh, it sounds definitely great and i haven't heard about that so it's uh thanks for sharing that mm-hmm. and we're almost at the end of the interview please uh, tell us 
leave us with one exercise, something practical that you recommend us doing daily, weekly, a routine to shine. Well, I'll share, I'll share with you one of the exercises that I do oftentimes when I'm working with groups and, um, in the, in the context of my own work, which, uh, like I told you is now excellent decisions. And it's about helping people make those decisions that are based on their vision and values and what's really important to them instead of all the external stress and pressure in our world. And one of the critical concepts in, in sharing that work is the concept of personal responsibility and getting people to take 100% responsibility for the results that show up in their lives. And again, that would be a concept that a speaker could share, just like I shared. Uh, Jack Canfield actually taught me a formula that helps people understand personal responsibility. But what I also like to do, again, in, in the mode of facilitation, is I like to share an exercise or an activity. And it's actually something that we can do just very quickly and in the moment here on the call. Uh, for you and for anyone who's listening, you can take a moment and just think of the things in your life that you can't do. If you just think of what comes to mind for you when you say, what are some things that I can't do? So for me, I might think of, you know, I can't run a mile in four minutes. I can't get my wife to listen to me. I can't get everything done on my to-do list. Uh, I can't seem to get to my meetings on time. Those are the kinds of things that often come up for people. So we have people do the first part of the exercise, which is to think of and to write down the things that they can't do. And then there's a second part of the exercise where we ask people to take those same things and and revisit them, but revisit them in a different way. And this time, instead of saying, I can't, we have them say, I won't. So again, for anyone who's listening right now, I would encourage you to just think about those things that you just thought of. You know, For me, it would be instead of I can't get to a meeting on time, I would say I won't get to a meeting on time or I won't get everything done on my to-do list or I... Uh, Oh, what was the other one? I won't get my wife to listen to me or I won't run a four minute mile, whatever, whatever comes to mind. And, and then we ask people, what's the difference? What do you notice is the difference when you say I can't do something versus saying I won't do something? So for you, Oscar, when you, when you did that, did you notice any difference between when you said I can't and when you said I won't? I feel like, yes, I can. <laughs> Yeah, there's a sense of taking power. There's a sense of ownership. There's when people say I can't, they're giving they're giving the responsibility to someone or something else. There's some external influence that means I can't do this. So, for instance, when I say I can't get my wife to listen to me, that's making it her problem, mm. not my problem. When I say I won't get my wife to listen to me, all of a sudden I'm looking at what can I do differently to improve the communication mm. with my wife. Uh, if I say I can't get to my meetings on time, again, I'm blaming the traffic or I'm blaming my busy life or whatever. When I say I won't get to my meetings on time, I start looking at what I could do differently to leave earlier, to plan more effectively, to make sure I have gas in my car, whatever it is that's preventing me from getting to my meetings on time. The fact is, it's not an I can't. It's an I won't. It's a choice that I've made, a decision that I've made. So simple exercise like that gets people, first of all, to experience in their body the difference between taking responsibility, the concept we're talking about, and not taking responsibility. And it also gets them to start 
really engaging in a conversation about being different in the world. Like they can leave uh, a presentation, they can leave a call like this now better prepared just in those couple of minutes to take 100% responsibility for the results that show up in their lives. Uh, I've had my own children. When I say I can't do something, my own children will call me on that and tell me, you can't, (laughs) (laughs) which which I love because they grew up around these kinds of conversations and they understand what personal responsibility is. And if I tell my daughter I can't go to her soccer game, she'll look at me kind of cross-eyed and say, really, Dad, Mm -hmm. you can't? Because she knows I can. I could make a choice to be there. Um, But the easy way out sometimes is just to say, I can't. So that's just an example. You know, there's so many exercises and activities and and facilitations that we can do to take a concept that we want to share and have people experience it and then and then debrief it in a way that they really and and hopefully get people get a real a little bit of a taste of that in in just sharing that little piece. Um, But it really does make a profound difference in how people get the information, remember the information and become much more likely to implement it which uh, I think you can probably tell is one of the things that I'm really passionate about is uh, not just going in and being an entertainer, but really making a difference and and changing people's lives. Yeah, well said. I like the exercise. eh? (laughs) I haven't heard before. So thanks for adding this to our um, encyclopedia of routines to shine. We already have been compiling through this time. Uh, Rory, it was a blast talking with you. Could you finally tell us how we can learn more about you, follow you? Sure, and I appreciate that. Uh, it's really been great to talk to you as well. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to reach out across the world and create this connection and have this dialogue and share with people uh, the idea, the possibility that can come from taking a more facilitating approach as opposed to just speaking. And hopefully it helps people to uh, differentiate themselves from their competition and um, go out there and get more and better work and, and make more of a difference in people's lives. The best way to get a hold of me is through that new brand I was telling you about. Um, my website is excellentdecisions.com, and I'm uh, very easy to get a hold of through that website. If you just go to the contact page, uh, all my information is there. I'm not a person who has 27 gatekeepers that you have to get to. I uh, love to hear from people who have heard me speak or be interviewed on a on a platform like this and uh, help them in any way that I can. So excellentdecisions.com is the best way to find me or uh, that amazing tool that you mentioned earlier called Google. I'm easy to find just by Googling me as well. Excellent. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Robert, and all the best. All right. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It was great to meet you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time, 